0: Welcome to The Great Conversation, Where Ideas Matter, Ideas Shape Markets, Ideas Can Change the World. I have been doing a lot of soul searching over the last two years in this pandemic worldwide culture we now have, and it have had many discussions with leaders from all over the globe on resilience, personal, professional. And it strikes me that that is becoming one of the core assets uh, that we all need to have. It's almost like we need to start with our children and our educational system, because change is an ever, ever uh, present constant in life. It's the only constant in life. But some people go through change in a very traumatic way and uh, and. I was able, through one of our Great Conversation speakers, to uh, find a gentleman who is an expert on uh, dealing with change in people who have gone through incredible trauma. And that's Dr. Dan Libby, the founder and executive director of Veterans Yoga Project. Dan, great to have you on the Great Conversation.
1: Thanks so much, Ron, for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and we are going to have a great conversation because it's just fascinating. For for a second, Dan, just give a quick glimpse at your background so everyone gets some context here.
1: Uh, Born and raised in uh, Queens, New York. Uh, Went out West, became a massage therapist. Uh, worked on the body, decided that uh, I didn't know how to handle the psychological and emotional stuff that would happen with people when they were using their bodies. So I became a clinical psychologist. Uh, as a clinical psychologist, I specialized in the psychophysiology of trauma. Um, and you know, you're talking about change and, um, and, and post-traumatic stress and uh, did a postdoc at the West Haven VA in Connecticut with uh, the Yale University Department of Psychiatry specifically to understand more about post-traumatic stress, specifically with uh, military veterans. Uh, And when I uh, got there, started using uh, breathing and meditation and mindful movement, what we would call yoga, and found that the veterans that I worked with uh, who developed some sort of empowering self-regulation practice had better outcomes. And uh, over the past 10 years have run an organization called Veterans Yoga Project, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting recovery and resilience among our veterans, families, and communities. So how's that?
0: I think that's terrific. And um, so, Dan, if I I was a friend or a family member associated with such a veteran, What behaviors would I see in that person that would lead me to believe something's wrong, something needs to be dealt with?
1: I'll tell you the um, the symptoms that drive uh, anybody to treatment um, tend to be sleep, pain, and mood. Uh, If you can't sleep, you'll try anything, you'll reach out to anybody. If you're dealing with chronic pain, right, you'll do anything. Um, and the mood, right? If your mood is affecting your family and you know, maybe you're getting the ultimatum, like you need to go seek treatment or, um, and, and the thing about trauma um, and post-traumatic stress is that there is no one way that it looks. It's not like you can do a blood test or say, hey, you have it or you don't. Um, if you look at the actual symptoms of post-traumatic stress, there are actually 20 symptoms divided into four clusters and you have to have a certain number of symptoms from each cluster. Um, there are actually 636,000 different combinations of symptoms that you can have, according to the DSM, right, that lists all the symptoms and the criteria to have, you know, to get that label, to get that disorder, 636,000 different combinations of symptoms that someone can have and and get the diagnosis of of post-traumatic stress. So one of the things to um, understand is that Um, we can't really understand anyone's singular experience of post-traumatic stress. Um, That being said, yeah, I I don't know that there's one thing that you can look out for, right? Um, Except to have, you know, to what that person tells you, right? And, you know, you can certainly, you know, we don't need to go through the whole symptom cluster list of what people experience, Um, but it's very easy to conceal the symptoms of post-traumatic stress as well.
0: For those of you who have followed the great conversation for years in a physical event, in our last great conversation in Palm Beach, Florida, right before the pandemic hit, uh, we had been having a discussion with many leaders over the last 20 years. And it dawned on me that because most of the leaders in the risk resilience security industry had come from military agency law enforcement background, As a business guy, I was always impressed with how they handled stress. And uh, But it wasn't until after one of our OSAC conferences, when I was dealing with the darkness of the world, that I asked one of our executive leaders, how do you do it? And he looked at me with a painful stare. And he said, we don't. High divorce rate high degree of alcohol and drug abuse, up awake at night, as you say, mood swings. And he said, we don't. And I said, but that isn't my experience with you, Brian. His name was, that isn't my experience with you. How have you overcome that? And he goes, yoga. Tell me about yoga. What's so unique about yoga that it helped Brian deal with his trauma, his pain, and his experiences.
1: There are a lot of different definitions or you know ideas of what yoga is out there, um, but essentially it is a self-mastery system. It's, it's a system by which you train your mind, by which you train your body um, to be more resilient that would be the simplest way to, to understand it. Um, if you really wanna get into it, right, when you're, you're talking about, um, you know, you were, you were asking earlier about, you know, I work with veterans who have been through trauma and, you know, what about, you know, and that's after the fact and people are like, well, what can we, what can we do before the fact? And what we're seeing right within the military branches is that they are actually uh, incorporating mindfulness-based practices and yoga-based practices into their resilience programs. And what we understand about stress and trauma um, is that there is this lack of safety, predictability, and control that happens, right? And that by training your mind and body through the practices of yoga, what you're doing is just, you're just gaining better um, predictability and control of your own mind. You're getting better predictability and control of your own body so that when you encounter that next stressful event, right, um, you're less likely to buckle. You're less likely to uh, reach for the bottle. You're less likely to, you know, let it result in you, you know, snapping at your wife or, you know, your husband. Right. It's, it's the, the little things that, you know, add up to what you are just talking about. There are a lot of people that have, you know, dealt with trauma and are dealing with stress and they hold it together as best they can, but, you know, they end up in, you know, high rates of divorce and all sorts of interpersonal conflicts and alcohol and drug use and all this stuff. Um, and so really how well are they really managing it? And so um, yoga can be just an alternative way to cope with stress. And that's one way to look at it but it's really a way of training your mind and your body so that you can live in alignment with your own values and goals.
0: You know, it's really interesting in reading a book recently on survival, why people die. I mean, experienced mountain climbers, uh, you know, rafters and so forth, why they die. There was an analysis about this idea of mindfulness as a way of seeing more clearly. And that even the most professional people in the world can allow themselves to get out of the moment they're in, the be here now moment they're in, and therefore miss the very things that would lead to their survival, right? Mindfulness, yoga as a way to train the body and mind. I can see why the military want that because it's not a way of just coping. Not just a way of dealing in in a resilient way, but it's also a way of staying in control, so you can see what's actually happening.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if you look at uh, all the special operators, especially when you look in the military, right there, I mean, they this is these are the techniques they use. Is how can I stay in the moment, in each moment, processing all the information all the while, and still keep my focus on the goal, right and changing right and and shifting my strategy based on that information. If I, for a moment, get caught up in my head and thinking about something, like you just said, I just missed something or an opportunity to to shift focus.
0: I I just recently got back from Hawaii where I took a surfing lesson. And uh, I'm on the board with this Hawaiian kid, 30 years old, since I'm 67, that's a kid. Uh, and, and he's telling me, Ron, you're not staying in the moment. You're overthinking this whole thing. There's a muscle memory. I, I don't even, he says, I don't even want to call it a feeling, but there's a sense of being who you are in the moment that will help you feel the board, feel the wave. And, uh, and, and, and this is days before, of course, I just got you on the phone and I'm thinking how odd that all of this is coming together. I get to talk to Dr. Libby here about mindfulness, about almost an integration, if you will, that most people never get training on. So I'm really fascinated, even though you probably deal mostly with people who are tra- traumatized and you're trying to help them out of it. But tell me what the release looks like when they finally get that. Cause my release was, I finally got on the board and was able to ride the wave once I got in that feeling of release was amazing to me.
1: I think there is a feeling of release or flow that can sometimes happen, but I think um, if that's what you're seeking in mindfulness, you're not going to find it. Right. Um, because you're, you know, that's just your desire of, you know, you're trying to, find some sort of release where mindfulness isn't about trying to find anything, right. It's not about trying to find peace, but being at peace with what you find. Um, and it's about, you know, just being here in the moment and accepting the moment, like not fighting reality. You can't fight reality. Reality is going to win every time, but how do I, you know, given, you know, given the hand I'm dealt, right. How do I play my hand the best way so that I can, you know, play the next hand or, you know, win the pot or, you know, but you, you can't fight about the cards you were dealt, right? This is what you got in front of you. And so these are the tools that allow us, right, to bluff when we want to, we you know, to bluff correctly or, you know, to fold when we're supposed to fold or I don't know how far I can take that analogy.
0: I, I love that line. Be at peace with what you find. What a great piece of wisdom. And why... Um, why do most of us are totally unprepared for that line? Why why haven't, why isn't that intuitive to us?
1: Well, because mindfulness is sold as um, what you kind of just presented it as. Like, I'm going to find this release. I'm going to find peace and I'm going to be in nirvana and I'm going to be like all relaxed all the time. Bullshit. Apart of, I don't know if I'm sorry, uh, pardon my language, um, but, uh, but that's not what it's about, right? It's just about waking up in each moment and not, trying to, again, it's, it's about overcoming desire. It's about being in the moment. And if we try to find relax, sometimes we do, we find relaxation and meditation, right? When you find that flow or that, you know, maybe it's a release or something that over time, Right. At first, you know, mindfulness kind of sucks, you know, at first, like, you know, yoga might be kind of weird or it might be achy or whatever. But um, over time, as you actually train your mind right now it's so much easier for me to let stuff roll off my back right when it, i mean not that i don't still get caught up right but that's why i do the practice but this is what the practice does is it keeps us from being overwhelmed by our emotions whether it's in response to a very significant potentially traumatic event right or whether i'm just hanging out at home with my family and you know i'm just trying to know be a good dad and be a husband and you know no matter where you apply it if you are in the moment yeah and in the moment it's not always relaxing it's not always great you know it's not you know but that's not you know it's it's uh it's disappointing i think sometimes for folks right because they're expecting that it's um like oh here's i you know once i sit down and do this mindfulness all my problems are going to go away no your problems are still going to be there Right. But now when you come across them, maybe they don't get you all twisted up. Maybe it doesn't knock you off your axis.
0: Yeah. In reality, life can suck very badly. In reality, life can be amazing. But given those two extremes. You are saying the same reality is possible. And that is, that reality is now, and it's almost an acceptance. And I'm, and I'm watching, watching Dr. Libby's face right now. So I said something that he didn't like, but it seems to me what you're suggesting is almost acceptance of wherever you're at, no matter what the circumstances. And that degree of mindfulness is a balance on either extreme The polar opposite of, you know, an elated joy versus a life is suck and I'm in extreme circumstances. Is it meant to be a balancing rod for all of that?
1: Well, I think you're talking about um, emotions, right? Um, Which is different than attention, Mm. right? I can, you know, mindfulness is often defined as paying attention on purpose in this present moment without judgment. So there's two pieces. It's paying attention now and doing so with an attitude of acceptance, right? You know, present moment and acceptance. Um, If you think about hypervigilance, which is one of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress or chronic stress, right? It's when you're on edge and you're paying attention and you're on purpose in this present moment, but it's with the expectation that something crappy is going to happen. Or uh, with a lot of the vets I work with, it's the expectation that I'm going to have to get up and get into action and, you know, and, and save somebody, or I'm going to have to, you know, uh, disarm the perp that walks through the door, right? There's this expectation of something bad is going to happen. And so paying attention on purpose in the moment can be easy. Um, and we are pre-programmed to, um, right? To have negative thoughts and negative emotions in some way, right? Um, we are we are focused on the problem, right? And so what happens, and this is why people don't do mindfulness, is because once you start doing mindfulness is you start to see yourself and you see your own thoughts. And it's like, ugh, who wants to deal with that, right? Um, and so uh, good mindfulness, I think, uh, evolution or training, right? It's, it's about paying attention, but it's about just noticing right? How we get twisted up. We get twisted up about these things. And that's, what's going to lead us to engage in behaviors that are not really aligned with where we want to be, right? That's where I'm going to impulsively, you know, snap at my kid, or I'm going to just be a jerk or, you know, whatever it is. It ain't easy. Like, like you just said, life is full of challenge. And it's not like we're doing mindfulness to pretend that it's not. It's about meeting the challenge. And like, let's meet it like not only with, and you can you can say with non-judgment or acceptance, but you could also pay attention on purpose in this present moment with the expectation that like, I have the opportunity to have a kick-ass day, right? I have the opportunity to be of service, right? With the expectation that in any moment I can, you know, have the opportunity that I'm waiting for, right? We can We can guide our attention through a lens um, and so that's part of the, the mental training as well. Right? And so that's what all these practices do. It's just about training our attention and the lens through which we are, you know, putting that attention through. Um, and then we're doing the same thing with the breath and we're doing the same thing with the body. And that's going to allow us to be better leaders, to be better leaders in our own, you know, for ourselves, for our families, for our companies or organizations, for our communities, And I, you know, that's why I do the work that I do because I've seen it, not only just to help get over the post-traumatic stress, but like it helps me not be as much of an a-hole.
0: Well, also, I can't even imagine. And for those people I've talked to, leaders who have contributed so much to our world, they have this uh, inherent humility. It's almost like they uh, are blind to the legacy they're leaving behind. Tell me about your legacy so far in the yoga project. How do you feel about what you've built and the people's lives you've spoken into? That's a
1: good question. Uh, I'm damn proud of, uh, of the organization um, that I have helped build. Um, and I am really grateful that I get to work with a lot of cool people Um, that really care and they really give a crap about the mission, right? And it's a really a mission first organization. And and so that's not anything I had ever planned to do. Uh, I often, I think, right, I told you, uh, right, I'm a reluctant leader. Um, You know, it it was never my intention to run a, you know, large organization. We have 300 teachers in our teachers alliance. We've trained, you know, 2000 people. Um, you know, we're, you know, documenting, you know, hundreds of, uh, yoga visits each week with veterans at VA's vet centers. Like we're doing all this amazing stuff. Um, and it is, uh, the joy of my life, you know, professionally, absolutely. Um, and, but legacy, right. Is I'm um, also, um, right. It's, it's an ever-changing world, right. Yoga for veterans actually used to be a weird thing, right. It used to be like way out there. Um, I have a teacher who joked 10 years ago, she wasn't allowed to call it yoga, the, the VA, you know, they made her call it breathing, stretching and relaxation. <laughs> right, which I just told you, it's not about relaxation necessarily but, um, but now the, the VA actually um, is almost mandating that um, that veterans are offered these treatment services. It is now they, there's actually a US, uh, there's a job description with the US government for yoga instructor now right? It's all of a sudden they see, and it's because of the research, it's because of the experience of the veterans who come back and say, hey, this is what worked for me. Um, and so uh, I don't know what the legacy is. I don't know what, you know, where this field is going or what, you know, uh, but we will continue to adapt to find ways to support recovery and resilience among our veterans, families, and communities.
0: Well, this has been a great conversation, seriously. This whole idea of gaining mastery over self, of training our body and mind so we can be in the moment in any situation to, to see ourselves more clearly and who we are and what circumstances we're under with no agenda except acceptance. That's pretty cool. This has been a great conversation. Dr. Dan Libby,
1: thank you. Thank you, Ron.